what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.tv. My name is Alan. Over here is Chris. Hello, podcast land. Alan, I know you've got to be relieved. Your favorite, La La Land won for Best Picture. We're just coming <laughs> off the Oscars. I know you've got to be just excited. Yeah. Why do you give me that look? Yeah. I, I, no, no, I mean, did you watch the whole ceremony? No, I, mean, I never watch it, but I mean, the way things were going, Emma Stone, Best Act, you know, it's like I go to bed. I, I treasure my sleep. I got to work on So you didn't like Monday read the morning. news the next morning or anything? Why would it happen? Oh, just we'll talk about it a little bit later. Okay. So how about that? Fair so enough. we have some interesting things to talk about with regards to the Oscars and our sympathies to La La Land, as we'll describe a little bit later in the show. Um, this is for Candle Films, as you probably have gathered just from our little clever banter there that was not scripted or planned out in any way no, whatsoever. Uh, we talk about films. We talk about movies. We review films. And we also sprinkle in a little bit of movie news along the way as well. So we've been doing the show for quite a while. We've got a nice library of back episodes. So if you enjoy hearing us talk about films and want to go back and listen to any old episodes, you can certainly do that on TheMesh.TV. But today we're going to focus on today's episode, which is about some newer movies that we want to make sure we talk about. We have two reviews for today's show. First off is the Oscar-winning film, Manchester by the Sea, followed by another Oscar-winning film, Hacksaw Ridge. Then we'll take a break, talk about some movie news when we come back, mostly centered around the Oscars, the Academy Awards. That just took place a few days ago as of the time of recording. Wait a second. Mm-hmm. You're saying La La Land didn't win Best Picture. <laughs> I am spoiling you, but yes, that is the case. La La Land did not win Best Picture. Uh, for those people who watched only the first three hours and 58 minutes of the Oscar telecast, <laughs> can tell you that. Um, but we'll do some movie news, talk about the Oscars, our reaction to the awards, Then we're going to wrap up the show, as always, with our recommendation of the episode. Chris and I both give a film that we feel like is either one that you ought to check out, maybe one that flew under the radar, but the ideal is something that you can find online and watch at your own convenience. Chris, we got a lot to do. Are you ready to get started? Yeah, let's do it. Great. Let's jump right into our first uh, first review, which is the film Manchester by the Sea. Where are we going, to the orphanage? Shut up. Get in the car. Can't obey your orders until you unlock the door. Whatever you decide, you can always stay with us if he wants to come up weekends. Do you want to be his guardian? Well, He doesn't we want to already, be my guardian, for Christ's sake. Got a house, we're trying to lose some kids, kids at this point. House? Hello? Hello, Lee? I just want to call and say I'm sorry. How's Patrick doing? Well, he doesn't really open up with me. Chris, Kenneth Lonergan's Manchester by the Sea follows... An uncle, a man who is the uncle to obviously a nephew of his, and is asked to take care of that teenage nephew after the boy's father dies. That on itself, very simple little plot line. That's what the movie's about. It is starring Casey Affleck as said uncle, and his name is Lee, Lee Chandler. Uh, we also have starring in the film Kyle Chandler, who plays Joe Chandler, which I think is really interesting. He's playing somebody with the same last name. Yeah, kind of weird. Yeah. 
Kyle Chandler's playing Joe Chandler, who is the older brother who does pass away. It's not a spoiler. That's a pretty much the plot line of the movie is centered around his brother's death. But then we also have um, uh, a couple other people involved. We have, I'm trying to remember, I'm sorry, the name of the person who played the nephew. Lucas Hedges. Lucas Hedges plays the nephew. Oscar nominated. Oscar nominated. Casey Affleck was nominated and won for Best Actor for this performance. And the film won Best Original Screenplay for Kenneth Lonergan, who's also the director. Chris, the overall sentiment towards this film going into it, when you heard people talk about it, people who saw it early, said it's a it's a heavy, heavy film. Right. And of course, Mr. Affleck's performance has been talked about for probably most of the year as being one that people think is going to get some, some Oscar love, and it certainly did. It beat out uh, Denzel Washington in Fences. It beat out Andrew Garfield in Hacksaw Ridge. Uh, beat out um, Ryan Gosling in La La Land. Who else am I missing? There's one more it beat. Um, I don't have I'm drawing a blank on that. On I, yeah. We'll cover that later. It wasn't um, Jeff Bridges because he was supporting. He was supporting actor. Right. Right. Don't recall. Oh, I know. Figo Mortensen. Captain, oh, yeah. For Captain, Captain Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. So, Chris, my question to you. A, you know, it being a heavy drama film, you know, centered around a sense of tragedy. And there's a lot more tragedy in the story than just even that simple plot line led on to. Um. Did the film work for you? Uh, what did you take away from the film? How did you walk away feeling after watching this film? Um, so I didn't see this film in the theater. Okay. I actually was doing, you know, we have reviewed a lot of Oscar movies. We, in our last show we did, these were, these two movies that we're doing today were kind of some of the last two. Yeah. We're a little catch I, up of our I Oscar to get to. films. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, one day we'll be getting the screeners. I think ours are getting lost in the mail. But um, no, I'm, I get them all. I watch them oh, all. I just don't share them. them. I'm them sorry, on, my bad. I not, should do that. Not cool. <laughs> um, so I was cramming. You know, yeah. I believe I watched this uh, Saturday night, and I watched Hacksaw on Friday night. So these were kind of back to back. So when the credits came up on this. I felt like maybe I'd gotten the wrong movie at uh, Redbox. The credits at the end of the film. Correct. Okay. Um, when the credits came up at the end of the film, because surely what I just watched is not this film that has gotten several Oscar nominations at the time, you know, because I'd watched this on Saturday. He had not, we had not had the Oscar awards yet. So I did not know that, you know, Mr. Affleck was destined to win. Um, yeah. I, you know, we've already done our awards for 2016 as well. So my encapsulated review of this movie is I don't get it. I just don't. <laughs> Chris, Chris get Fry, it. I don't get it. I don't that's get good. it. That's I don't on get the, what's that's on the so movie great poster. about this movie. I don't get what everybody's going on and on about about how. Let me let me just show you know a lot of times people when we record this show just so I have like cast lists and other things in front of me. I pull up you know IMDb so I have the page up. I'm going to now turn this around to Alan so he sees the page that comes up when I pull up um, IMDb. It has this little slug line from the Wall Street Journal, Rolling Stone, the Associated Press, Entertainment Weekly, USA Today, in big letters, a masterpiece. Man, I, I, you know, I would never in a million years call this thing a masterpiece. To me, there was nothing really to it. Uh, Casey Affleck, not that he did a bad job, but his acting, like you talk about subdued acting and realistic portrayal, I guess so. But he just never had any moments of, I don't know, like I could tell he was awake. He just kind of mumbled through <laughs> everything. Um, I like Casey Affleck as an actor. I've seen him in other things like um, The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward mm-hmm. Robert Ford. Amazing. He did a really good job in that. I think 
you know, and not that he was wrong for this role, but this just didn't really give him a lot to do. Okay. And so for that reason right there, I was shocked. Not only was he nominated, but he won. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just, about the only thing that kept me awake in the movie was the fact that they did use um, flashbacks and they did have kind of some disjointed times. And that was the only device that kind of kept me awake. If they had told this story in a linear fashion from start to finish, I think I probably would have fallen asleep. I mean, there just was nothing for me to hold on to. And you mentioned something too. The build up to this movie was that, oh, it was so good. It's a masterpiece, but also there's a lot of tragedy. It's really sad. Um, when I went to go see the Lego Batman with my kids, there was actually a preview, not a preview before, but you know how they always talk about upcoming movies and mm-hmm. the woman's like, oh yeah, the Oscars are coming up. Be sure you catch Manchester by the sea and don't forget your box of tissues. So I was expecting, you know, just the saddest movie I'd ever seen. I mean, it is sad, but I guess just because it seems so melodramatic and plotted and just so, I don't know. I, I didn't, it didn't even get dusty for me at all all like mm. i felt i felt like i was numb chris, i felt nothing chris felt nothing <laughs> i felt nothing so i guess i'm dead in dead inside <laughs> and i didn't get this masterpiece but yeah i just yeah and the, and you know sometimes yes i admit i like to be kind of a contrarian people really are down on a movie i'll be like come on it wasn't that bad or when people just herald it's like la la land okay yeah. i was not over the moon as apparently everybody else was about la la land but i didn't think it was a bad movie this movie I mean, I just, I just don't get it. Chris doesn't get no. it. And I think if it, if it didn't have, even though Lonergan did, you can count on me, which had a little buzz. He made Mar- Margaret, which, you know, critics liked it. I don't think anybody else saw it. And then he comes out with this. If his name wasn't attached to it, or more importantly, if the stars weren't attached to this, th- I think this thing would have come and gone, would have been released straight to iTunes. Nobody would know about sure. it. I'm just really shocked that it got all the love that it did. It's just really strange to me. So how do you feel about it now? All right. Um, I am not as not as down on it as you are. I found some redeeming things in it that I that I can appreciate. Such as? I'll get to those. Okay. But I am going to comment on what you just said that last little bit because I think it rings true. You and I, we, we, ha- we host a film festival. We've watched a lot of independent film. Yeah. A lot of small budget production films. I've always kind of made the running joke that it seems like downer, depressing dramas seems to be the easiest thing for people to produce. You don't have special you effects. So, and- I mean, when we get submissions for our film festival, so many of them are True. down, depressing drama about family members dealing with some sort of crisis or whatever. Right. This film is a high production value independent student film. Okay, it's basically what it is. I mean, there's nothing else to it. About it, 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 the the story is very. See, I guess you know, I guess it, that's where I'm kind of I kind of come down on it too. High production value because of the director, I right? say because director of the director and the actors, but cinematography. Well, I was I thought the cinematography was it was, it was there, dull, really. but I think it was meant to be dull. It wasn't meant to meant be to dull be, and yeah. depressing. Uh, but I mean, it was a weather. good looking film for what it was trying to show. Um, hmm. My thing is this. Okay. I, I I am interested in the exploration of dealing with grief. Okay. Okay. That to me is an interesting subject. Especially in a situation I'm not gonna not gonna do spoilers on this, but especially when there's a character that is being judged 
in a surrounding community or by other family members for something that was that happened where you don't know if you can explain it away as it being an, 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 a purely an accident or if something was driving that to cause it to happen you know, and if it was you know i think that's the crucial part now that you've kind of pointed that out i think that's the crucial part for me on this film of why i didn't get it okay now We'll dance around stuff for spoilers because there's you learn something about the main character that makes it understandable why he left the this town and now he's coming back. Right. And it also makes it clear why he's very uncomfortable, especially with this arrangement of being asked to take care of his nephew. Okay. And I really never got that. Okay. I really, you know, I knew I did. I I I, I didn't get that other people were judging him. I was just, I just thought he was, for lack of, for lack of better term, I just thought he was a loser. Well, the judging part I got, it was very subtle and it was in a couple scenes, just a couple throwaway comments. You got the sense about midway through the film that he was being judged in this town. Now I'm, I'm saying this concept is interesting to me. This, this idea of a story around this is interesting to me. I'm not saying this film did a good job of telling that story. I actually think it was weak in handling that story. It could have done a lot more with it. Um, I'm fascinated by this idea of somebody who's gone through a very traumatic situation and all of a sudden the rest of the world is now judging this person rightfully or wrongfully for what's gone, what's happened in the past. So that element of it kept me engaged in the film enough to like want to follow it along. So I will give that as a like, I will say with what Casey Affleck was given to work with script wise, I thought he did a fine job. Now, yes, it was a very subtle, very underplayed, very mumbling, quiet performance. And, you know, again, it's the kind of performances I would see in student films and independent production films. It's almost like that seems to be the easiest path to take when acting is be quiet and mumble and you just make people show show people that you're in trauma and you're in you're in uh, deep depression, all that. But I think for what he was given, I thought he did fine. And I will say, I thought in general, all the performances were fine. Were they Oscar nominated worthy? No. I didn't, yeah. I didn't think any performance in this movie was. I don't think any performance, save one, was bad. Oh, yeah, I, thought, I wouldn't say. I thought they were all fine for servicing the story. I will get to my dislikes in a moment. Okay. But I will say, I think overall, the exploration, the story, they were a lot more on the surface on it than I would have liked. But I thought, it was a good exploration of people dealing with grief. Sure. And I do think Casey Affleck did a fine job with the role he was given. I thought all the other performances, except for one, were were adequate and good and kept me engaged with the story. So I had some likes with it. I felt obviously more positive about it than you did. But I would like to flip over to the dislikes. You've already kind of hit your dislikes. You know? Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure you have more. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I can continue um, unloading. On that. I did feel like the story was lacking. Um, sure. I didn't feel like it was a complete story. And I'm not saying I'm somebody that has to have a beginning, middle, and end. But sure. I needed more than what the story was giving me. By the end of the film, I kind of walked away from it being like, okay, I don't, I don't get what the point was now at this point of the film. Um, it does end very unsatisfyingly for me. And again, I do not need this closure ending, but I needed something to tell me where this story was going. Right. And I had nothing from this. I thought Michelle Williams was ridiculously bad in this. (laughs) I really just thought her part was overplayed and she was the most shocking thing to watch after this and think that she got a nomination for this. Um, So I wanted more out of the story. I thought her performance was pretty bad. (laughs) And overall, I thought the film was very slight when it shouldn't have been as slight as it was. 
So that's, again, I thought the film was okay, but I definitely did not walk away thinking it deserved all the accolades it got. Well, and I think, yeah, we're basically on the same page, but I'm definitely lower on the film than you are. Mm -hmm. I think I didn't, the film was so subtle and nuanced that it lulled me to sleep. So I, you know, even though there was this tragedy and people were judging him and, you know, it was affecting his life. It's why he moved away. And I, it was just so subtle that I just, I forgot that I was supposed to care or pay mm-hmm. attention. All mm-hmm. I think is here's this guy he's just kind of a loser and he doesn't really care. And he just kind of mumbles around through life. And yeah, just really nothing there. I will say the one thing that surprised me, um, especially when I was supposed to have a box of tissues, there were a couple of funny little moments when he's talking with his nephew. Um, now, granted, I didn't think his nephew did such an amazing job. Lucas Hedges has his nephew that he should have been nominated for Best Sporting Actor. But um, you know, he's kind of a typical teenager who's dating two different girls at one time. And there's some other you know, little funny little lines that he has that did kind of manage to wake me up out of my stupor. But mm-hmm. then I went right back to being kind of bored to death. So, well, let me, let me kind of piggyback off of that. So the nephew, I, I did not think a award winning performance either. However, I will say, I thought what was interesting about the portrayal of the nephew is they didn't go, uh, they didn't go down the path I would expect for them. Okay. You know, this nephew just had something horrible happen to him and his family. Okay. But yet, you know, where you would expect a film to say, okay, the nephew is just moping everywhere and is just depressed and upset about things and mad at the world. He wasn't actually, he kind of, it was a little shocking to see him kind of be okay. (laughs) At times, you know, with his girlfriends, I mean, he was still more interested in figuring out how to sleep with his girlfriends than he seemed to be about his dad just passing away. Right. But there were two scenes. I will call out two scenes in this film that I thought were really good. Okay. One involved the nephew, and there's a moment at the refrigerator where he loses it. Hmm. And it's the middle of the night. He's going down there just to get a snack or whatever, and just he loses it. And, you know, he's thinking, he thinks it's a nervous breakdown. He thinks he's having a panic attack or whatever. No, it's not. He's not having a panic attack. He's just everything caught up with him and hit him at one time. I thought it was. I will say that scene was really well done. Okay. The other scene, you talk about Casey Affleck, and I agree. Most of the time, he just seemed to be sleepwalking. Again, I think that was the role that was designed for him in this film. Sure. But I do think the scene in the police station following in the flashbacks where he's talking with the police officers about what's transpired. Sure. And the days that he's in as he's responding to questions and then the action he takes immediately afterwards. Okay. To me was a really good film. That was the only scene in the film that got me emotional. Okay. That didn't get me emotional, but it did wake me up. And I thought that moment, yeah, that, that was one of the few scenes that actually, not that you're expecting a drama that has tragedies to be exciting, but that kept me engaged. That scene in the, it was a good scene. You see something bad happen and then you see him at a police station and the dialogue back and forth. I felt that was well written, yeah. well directed, and well acted by Casey Affleck. It's just the rest of the movie. Yeah. You know, it's got over a two hour running time. I felt like this, if you're going to go independent film route, this could have been 80 minutes. This could have been 90 minutes. Oh, no, absolutely. It was, definitely, it, it was definitely stretched out. Yeah. There were a lot of scenes that, I mean, again, had no bearing on the story whatsoever at the end of the day. 
they're thrown in there to give you more flavor of what these characters are like and what they're going through. Um, you could have gotten the same story told a lot quicker. And I think there could have been a way to resolve the story at least to give something a little bit more closure to where you're going. Uh, you know, again, I'm not, I'm not saying films that can't be open-ended. Sure. But this isn't, this was not open-ended. This was yeah. just, just kind of left there on the table, you know, walk away from it. Right. And that, that was not satisfying to me. So I, I will say, I, I sound like I'm a little higher on it than you are. Yes. But both of definitely. us are still d- disappointed in general with the film. Yeah, I, 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 because the buzz that had been around it and people were really talking about how good it was. And so, yeah, definitely, definitely let down. And I'm also with you too. I don't think it was as heavy a film as it was probably being pitched to be. Uh, just in case people are curious and they're like, oh, I don't know if I want to see that. It sounds really heavy. Yes, it does deal with a very harrowing situation. Uh, and of course it deals with death. You know, that's the whole plot line is kind of dealing with his, his brother's uh, death. But there's another tragedy involved that's pretty heavy, but it also is it's compressed into a couple scenes. It's just the ramifications of those scenes are felt throughout most of the rest of the film. So, yeah, um, uh, yeah. Uh, disappointing. Uh, I don't think it was horrible. I just would have liked more out of it than I got. Agreed. Is that fair to say? Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. So that's Manchester by the Sea. Again, it won Best Original Screenplay and Best Actor. Uh, so two awards. It was nominated for several more. Um, it was an Amazon studio movie, which I think is kind of interesting. Amazon, like as a production house now, like funding productions, got two Oscars, you know, at the uh, Academy Awards. Pretty, pretty interesting. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to our second review, which is the latest Mel Gibson. He's back directing films. And now he's got a film called Hexall Ridge. Private Doss does not believe in violence. Do not look to him to save you on the battlefield. I don't think this is a question of religion. I think this is cowardice. I fell in love with you because you weren't like anyone else. You're saying you could go to prison. I don't know how I'm going to live with myself if I don't stay true to what I believe. With the world so set on tearing itself apart, doesn't seem like such a bad thing to me to want to put a little bit of it back together. Alan, you mentioned Hacksaw Ridge was a return from Mr. Gibson, who has directed films before. He did Apocalypto, Passion of the Christ, but he's kind of been, you know, in the background for a while. He comes back, and this film, Hacksaw Ridge, is nominated for six Academy Awards. It's nominated for Best Sound Editing, okay, Film Editing, Sound Mixing, but also nominated for Best Motion Picture of the Year, Mm -hmm. Best Performance by Lead Actor for Andrew Garfield, and Mr. Gibson himself got a nod for achievement in directing. So we've both seen the film now. The Oscars have come and gone. It did win for film editing and sound mixing. Alan, do you feel like it should have picked up any other Oscars while at the Academy Awards? What are no. your thoughts on Hacksaw? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. I, Fair I, enough. Uh, it's fine that it won some audio technical awards because, yes, it was a – there was a lot – in the making of this film. I acknowledge that from a technical standpoint, it was a technically very well-made film. Okay. Um, And I will say for the record, I think the story of what's being told is an important story to tell. I I think it's, it, it needed a movie. I, you know, you know, I have talked before about whether or not real life people or situations would be better served by a dramatic film or by a documentary. Hmm. I do feel like this is one that needed a narrative dramatic film. Okay. okay. The story, this idea of this conscientious objector 
still joining the army. Desmond Doss, real, real person, served in the Battle of Okinawa, but all the time in World War II, refusing to kill people. And actually, and I'll get to this in a little bit, a little confusingly, not even touch or hold a gun. Sure. Um, he was a medic. That's what he wanted to go into the army to be, to help people. And he did save a lot of people during that Battle of Okinawa. Again, the story itself, I'm so glad to have a movie made about it. Because I think it's an interesting story. And it's a great piece of history we need to relish. That being said, I don't think Mel Gibson should have been the guy to do it. <laughs> okay. Um, sure. Mel Gibson, in his films, has a penchant towards really glorifying the violence. You know, and he may not in this film have been wanting to glorify the violence, but that's exactly how it came across in the film to me. And I think it's a really hard line to toe to be telling a story about a conscientious objector who who does not want the violence, who does not want the people hurt. But yet the film spends, I would say, out of its running time, probably a good hour of that running time, sure. focused on the violence, the blood, the gore that happens with war. I get it. You've got to show that to understand Desmond Doss's personality and mentality towards it. Sure. I just think it was way out of whack. I mean, for every one minute of seeing Desmond Doss rescuing people, we were treated to 10 minutes of just over-the-top violence and gore. I just don't understand how to wrap my head around how this is supposed to help tell this story in a way that should be told. So that's my biggest issue with the film. I think the story itself needed to be told. And I think this was a very competently directed and shot film. Right. I just feel like it's really tough for me to say this was a good movie when I feel like it's so out of balance with what it should be telling and, and the story, the way it should be telling it that way. Um, I've got some more notes, but I want to hear your thoughts too. I mean, uh, just how did you walk away from this one? Well, I think we're very much on the same page with it. Um, yeah, I think, Gibson's reputation for violence didn't do this film any favors. Mm -mm. Um, you know, there's after about it's, you know, there again, over two hours after about the hour and a half point, he basically, there's one big part of the movie or one big, you know, he did rescue a lot of lives, but specifically at one point on Hacksaw Ridge, he rescues like 75 people or something insane. Um, you know, you're at the hour and a half point in the movie at that point, And you've kind of already seen a lot of violence you understand this guy's motivations. You understand everybody else's motivations. And the it seems like the last hour is nothing but people getting blown up. Yep. And it's like, you know, and you understand showing some of that because this is a war movie. Mm-hmm. But a whole half hour of that just seems really, really repetitive. And at one point, my wife, who was watching it with me, she was like, um, are we going to have to see each of the 75 people that he rescued? Are we going to have to see that literally play out? Because... It was literally somebody gets shot. He goes up there and rescues him and goes up there again. And it kept happening over. And it was like, she's like, I get it. I get it. It is amazing what he did. But, you know, from a cinematic point of view, I don't need to see that 75 times. And no, thankfully, they didn't do it 75. But it It felt like way too many. Well, that's even in the second battle. The first phase of the battle. He's not really rescuing a lot of people because, you know, they're just all blindsided. Chaos is happening. chaos. And it's just mass hysteria for like 20 minutes. Right. Um, my concern with it was, is that, you know, for every minute, yeah, like I said, the balance was just off. I actually honestly felt like there were like stretches of time where they completely forgot about Desmond Doss. It's like, mm. let's just show action, violence, and carnage. carnage. Yeah. And oh, by the way, we need to drop in a shot of him reacting to things. Right. Um, 
I'm not against violence in films at all. I mean, I understand there is a need, time, a place to tell the story, and violence sometimes plays a part of that. Sure. I look at uh, Saving Private Ryan, which is one I think gets a lot of comparisons in the situation. And I can see why. Saving Private Ryan, very violent film. Oh, yeah. But the purpose of Saving Private Ryan was to show us the horrors of war, to show us what these men went through, and to really put us in the seat of this really oppressive, just just oh, incredible situation. Right. That's not the purpose of Hacksaw Ridge. The purpose of Hacksaw Ridge is to show us someone who's rising above and, and doing something unexpected and taking a stance uh, towards it. And so it just doesn't work. You know, it just doesn't work the same as that. People can say, well, Saving Private Ryan is just all violence for the first 20, 30 minutes. I'm like, yeah, it is. But there's there's a reason for it where I felt like in Hacksaw Ridge, there's not that reason. Right. And in fact, you should have scaled back on it and given us more of what this hero is really doing. Now, I will say for the rest of the film, I didn't think Andrew Garfield was very good. Well, um, you know, I'm torn on that. Yeah. And here's here's why, because I want to. That was one of a point that I wanted to bring up to you. They show some footage, you know, because I guess they want to make sure you know this is a real story during the credits of some of the people that are portrayed in this movie. Desmond Doss, one of them, mm-hmm. and that actually gave me maybe a little bit of more credit towards Andrew Garfield. But during the movie, I felt like they were. And I didn't know whether it was the script or whether it was Garfield himself. Mm. He was making the choice to turn Desmond Doss almost into a Forrest Gump type character. That's exactly what my notes say. And that really bothered me. I agree. And I think, now granted, I don't know whether it was directing or acting, but at the end you see that this guy does have, he was from Virginia. You do see that he has a pretty thick, thick accent. But still I think the way it was played was to play into that Forrest Gump, like, oh, gee, shucks, I don't know what I'm doing. Yep. Kind of a Gomer pile type thing. And that really, and maybe, I guess, the thoughts were, this is a very heavy film with lots of carnage and lots of blood. So we're going to use this as kind of levity in some points, but it just didn't it, work. It didn't work. It His was performance very, didn't work. It was jarring for me. Other than when he was trying to go for levity moments, his performance did work okay for me. There was a couple moments. I, I'm thinking of one moment in particular uh, in the barracks where um, he is uh, getting just oh. to beat the crap out of him. Right. And he keeps standing back up and he keeps being defiant. And he wasn't being Forrest Gump at that moment. He was being right. just a very good, strong individual. And I thought those things were good. Right. It's when he's talking. <laughs> I think it's honestly, I think you're <laughs> right. I think the talk, the speaking dial, it seems, I think they just overplayed this whole, hey, I'm a southern kid and it's almost like well this is the way southern people talk is they have to kind of sound like Forrest Gump and that's what we're going to play up and I just it just really it it bothered me for his performance he's a good actor I know he's a good actor I've seen him in some really good things I just man this, this I just don't think it was a good casting choice for the for him I, uh, if you want to talk about casting choice there again I think I'm a little <laughs> easier on I know Andrew you're going Garfield with this next casting choice too oh uh, yeah 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 it did not work for me at all um, Vince Vaughn. Yep. That's what I knew um, where you were going. He plays a sergeant yeah. that uh, Doss has to report to. And, you know, I like Vince Vaughn, okay? You know, I, I think he's fun. But there again, I think he was saddled with, at first, trying to bring some levity to it. But it just doesn't, no, it just doesn't fit. work. It's like, and maybe 
maybe to switch gears if he could have just given a dramatic performance the entire time yep. and never let off the gas and been kind of like the commander in Full Metal Jacket mm-hmm. who just is mm-hmm. like a rough dude. Maybe it would have worked for me more. But yeah, just Vince Vaughn, I was like, oh, this is not really working for me. And it continued not to work for me. Yeah, for the no, rest he, of the his film. role never got better. And I kept waiting no. for it to get better and never did. I uh, I I just had some concerns and issues too with the the story gaps. I felt like were there too. So okay. we have some 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 scenes in the beginning where we see uh, Desmond Doss as a child, as a young boy, and we kind of get an understanding because of a situation, an event that happens. His his rationale for deciding not to embrace violence. Okay, I get that. Right. I thought the scene was a little heavy-handed. Uh, heavy-handed the whole walking and looking at the uh, at, a, at a picture on the wall and that kind of being the moment that flipped. I thought that was really over the top, heavy handed, but at least sure. the scene and understanding I got it. But then we skip right ahead. All of a sudden Desmond Doss is a young adult. We don't, we understand through insinuation that he's basically adopted this whole, I will not kill. And I get that. I understand that the child went through something traumatic and it kind of in between his father and him and all this, he has just decided he is not going to go this route. And I understand that there's a scene with a gun involved in a, in a flashback as well with his father. Right. But the rationale to say that I will never touch a gun kind of came out of left field. It was almost like, okay, we know he's a conscientious objector to the war. We know that he is not going to kill anybody. But even like during rifle practice, target practice, he's like, no, I'm not going to do it. It's like, okay, so where did this, where did this come from to help me understand this rationale behind it because this this is an important part of the film this is what almost gets him court-martialed right it's the fact that he won't even do rifle practice you know and target practice and i'm like okay that just seems like i'm sure that was in the real story that real desmond Doss, but you got to give me a little more understanding of why right. and i don't feel like i got it so i felt like there was just a lot of logic gaps on the reason that he felt the way he did um so, you know, because I mean, I, I would argue, say, well, not even for hunting. I mean, you know, what, help me understand even like hunting and other things that guns could be used for. Just help me understand your, your logic. I just need a little bit more explanation of his upbringing or what caused him to really have these certain rules in his life. And also the fact that his religion, I mean, his, his religion is mentioned, but I guarantee you his religion played more of a role in his upbringing and in his belief system than what we saw in the film. Right. And so I just felt like there was a lot of jumps. It was almost like, okay, let's show the kid looking at the picture and all of a sudden something snaps in his head and he's not going to want to ever kill anybody. And now he's a young adult and he has all these formed rules and opinions and belief systems that we're just kind of having to learn a little piecemeal. And it, it didn't make for a very cohesive story. I didn't think so. Yeah, I would, I would kind of, I would agree with you. And I think, in the hands, there again, I, I tend to think that a lot of the blame could be laid at the fault or laid at the feet of uh, Mel Gibson. Because well, I think yeah. better, better directed and kind of harnessing the story elements and the actors, and I think it would have... I mean, I look back to Braveheart. I think Braveheart is a really, really good film. And that was Mel Gibson. That was probably, to me, the peak of, like, you know... Mel Gibson's a director and he's winning awards for this. And yeah, Braveheart had some scenes of violence and I felt like the scenes of violence that we got were very warranted. It was true to the story. It made sense for the movie. He's a good director. I just, you know, I know the whole controversy came up with Passion of the Christ when that came out about how many people felt like it was just so over the top violence on wanting you to feel what Christ was going through. Right. Um, 
in there again, I can at least argue in that film why you would go that route if you were Mel Gibson and you had that belief system that this is the story you want to tell. Sure. It's just to me, it's just this whole angle that this movie is about anti-violence. The story is anti-violence, but yet you gave us one of the bloodiest, goriest movies we've had this year. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I just, True. that's my, that's my complication with this film. Um, again, I'm glad a film was made about it because I, I think this is the kind of story people need to hear about. Sure. I mean, I was really excited the next day to tell my kids about the story mm-hmm. because I think the story's fascinating. Sure. But I would never want them to watch this movie. <laughs> so it's just, you know, that's, that's where I am with it. Um, okay. It's it's tough because I wanted to like this film. I, this film needed to be liked, and I just I can't find it in my heart to say I, I did. So yeah, I, I, same way I you know we go into most movies wanting to like them because mm-hmm. you know you try to take the. It's a lot more slant. fun to walk out of a movie you enjoy than one you don't enjoy. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. And with this one, you know, I, yeah, I remember it coming out, and you know, seeing it was a war movie and seeing Mr. Gibson's name attached to it, I thought, oh, you know. I, even though it was based on true story, but I just felt like, yeah, I don't think that's gonna, I don't think that's gonna work for me. But when it was nominated for six different Oscars, <laughs> you know, especially the big ones, directing, best picture, best actor, I was like, okay, clearly, I need to give this thing a chance. And yeah, I, w- I was disappointed because I thought it would be a better film. Yeah. So. Well, that's Hacksaw Ridge. Um, so unfortunately, Chris and I are both kind of down on both of the films we just reviewed so far in the show, both Oscar winning films. Um, although I will say, I guess on the flip side, they also didn't win the big awards. They, they didn't win best picture. They didn't win best director, either of them. So, you know, uh, it's a mixed bag as far as how they perform, but the fact that they got nominated for as much as they did, I think I'm, I'm a little surprised in both films personally. Um, so that is Manchester by the Sea and Hacksaw Ridge. I think both of them are available now on rental, iTunes, Amazon, anywhere you go. You can basically find them anywhere now uh, if you're interested in seeing them. Final word on both the films. Yeah. Alan. If you had to choose to recommend one of these movies to somebody, which one would you Which it, one would you say you liked better? Which one would you recommend? Okay, well, recommending, it would depend on who I'm recommending nope, to. No, you can't know that. I can't do you that. You just got to say like, okay, if I had to say, like basically if you waved a wand and I, one of these movies disappeared uh, and was never made and the other one... Like, I'd say Hacksaw Ridge would be the one I'd recommend only because I think the story is important to tell. Okay, yeah, I, I guess I agree. Basically, that was my way of saying which movie, you know, we're both down on them, but I liked Hacksaw Ridge better than Manchester. I liked Hacksaw Ridge... Uh, it's tough for me to really? say. That. I can't. Okay. I can't judge them one over another. <laughs> sure. I mean, they're. Different I'm just saying, if I had to choose one film that I could only see or preserve in film history, <laughs> I think that because Hacksaw Ridge is telling an important story, even though I have real issues with the way it was told, understood. It's more important to me. You can not see Manchester by the Sea, and I don't think your your life is any more or less enriched <laughs> by that. Hacksaw Ridge. I do think there's something interesting and story wise there that's worth telling. So. Sure. I'll say Hacksaw Ridge was a little. <laughs> I can't do it. Has I can't. A I can't give a choice. For it, maybe. Has more going for it. Okay. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Okay. Both films left me disappointed. Sure. So yeah. Okay, we're gonna take a quick break. We've done our two reviews. When we come back, we're gonna do some movie news, mainly talking about the Oscars, and then we'll end up the show with our recommendation of the episode. You're listening to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh TV, and we'll be right back. We'll get back to your show in a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to The Mesh, 
an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Find out more at themesh.tv and give us feedback on what you like. And now, as promised, back to your show. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. Again, my name is Alan and Chris is here with me. We just finished our reviews earlier in the show of Hacksaw Ridge and Manchester by the Sea. So now we're going to turn our attention to a little more news discussion. This is the part of the show where we either pick out some news items of interest to one of us and we discuss it between the two of us here. Uh, we are going to dig deep into Oscars here in just a moment along with another news item we have to share. But before we do, just a quick reminder to everybody listening, this is Foot Candle Films. This is a podcast. And for those of you who hear the word podcast and don't think you understand what that means, don't worry, it's all good. Podcast is simply a audio or video program that is produced on a regular basis, kind of like a TV show. The difference is, is that you can access all the episodes online. They're free, and they come out in a format to where if you subscribe to our show, Every time we put out a new episode, it'll be delivered to you uh, wherever you choose to have your podcast come to. Maybe on your iPhone or mobile phone, maybe on your computer, maybe even on your TV device. The idea is that you subscribe to shows that you really like to make sure you get all new episodes coming in. So we encourage you, if you like what you're hearing, um, despite our award-winning broadcast voices and our polish and, and format of our show, uh, you want to listen to more of this going forward, we recommend that you subscribe to the show. You can go find our show on TheMesh.TV, look for Foot Candle Films, and there will be buttons there that will direct you on how to subscribe to our show in Apple iTunes or some other podcast software. Uh, that's just a great way of making sure you never miss an episode of what we put out there. Chris and I run a film society here in our region of North Carolina, and we encourage you to always check out what we're doing with the film society at footcandle.org. And we'll talk a little bit in it before we close the show about our upcoming film festival, because we really want to make sure everybody knows about the festival, our third year of the festival coming up in a few months. All right, so Chris, let's talk news. And before we dig into the whole Oscar mess, how about uh, you got something you wanted to share? I'm, I'm curious what your news item is. Well, you know, we're going to delve into the Oscars, which, you know, for the most part, you talk about high-minded, you know, big Oscar-worthy pieces, you know, so it's more the serious films, more serious dramatic films. Well, coming out in 2017, I've talked about it before, a movie I'm very much looking forward to is Alien Covenant <laughs> by yes. one Mr. Ridley Scott. I really Mr. like Scott. that, you know, really like those movies. I was a big fan, as listeners know, of Prometheus. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. So, um, but the news item is just recently, within a week or so, uh, they released what they are calling a prologue, and it was called The Last Supper, and a prologue to the upcoming film. And from what I understand, they actually let or let or asked Luke Scott, Ridley Scott's son, who has made some done some films. He actually directed this five-minute piece. Hmm, okay. It takes place on the ship, has all the actors that are going to be in the movie. I mean, you see um, what's this? You see a Fassbender. Mm -hmm. You see um, the guy from Eastbound and Down, who I'm drawing a blank on his right. name. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I know <laughs> you're you, talking about. Uh, Billy Crudup. You see, yep. not, he's not the one from Eastbound and Down, but <laughs> uh, Billy Crudup. You see 
the whole cast. And basically what they're doing is they're kind of setting the stage as a prologue would do in a book. This is for a movie. They're setting the stage for this movie. Um, James Franco's there as a James captain Franco's of a ship. James Franco's in it. Uh, um, Danny McBride. Danny McBride. That's he's been. And then family. Catherine Watterson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who was in Fantastic Beasts. And I really liked her in that. I'm interested to see what she does. She seems to be the Ripley surrogate you, for this you, batch you of think? people. Yes, I do think. <laughs> Just from the, all um, the pictures the, I've seen. Down to the little t-shirt yeah. thing she's wearing and the haircut. Yeah. Very much the, yeah. the Ripley surrogate. And hearing me say that, you would think that's a, that's a backhanded compliment. That's a slap. But I am, I really like there's I'm a really big fan of this franchise. And even though it's like, it seems like every one of these movies, oh, I get it. People go down to a planet, they're terrorized by aliens, aliens pop out of their stomachs. And it's the same thing over and over again. Okay. I can't argue with you that that is kind of a through line of this franchise, mm-hmm. but the artistic way that it's done with at least alien aliens, then let's oh, yeah. forget the other ones. And then I really liked Prometheus because of some of the mythology it was trying to establish. And with this film, I feel like there's more there than just simple jump scares. I hope so. And for what they establish in this prologue, you see that it's a group of people. They're married couples, which that right there makes it different. Um, And they're going down to try to colonize this Mm -hmm. land. And there's some, I know there's a lot more kind of, I feel like in those first five minutes, and it's not apparently going to be in the film. This is just something kind of, it was Mm -hmm. like a preview trailer, even though it's like a five minute scene you learn about each one of those characters. You kind of get where they're coming from. You know where they stand. It was so awesome. And like, I can't wait to see what they do with these. They're not just meat bags to be destroyed by an alien. Mm -hmm. There's, there's more to each one of those characters and that kind of depth. It's like, yeah, if only Ridley Scott made every horror movie, because then there would be more substance to the brain splattering everywhere. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'd, I was I was already excited for this movie, but seeing that, and I almost, you know, a lot of people know, I almost never watch trailers or try to avoid them because I don't want to spoil it. I had heard about this, and I saw what it was that, oh, this is something outside the movie that's just yeah. kind of teasing yeah, it. Yeah, this is fine to watch. So I was like, okay, I'm going to watch it. And man, it was, yeah, it definitely has me excited because it's like a a character study science fiction horror slasher film. Like, if even such thing can exist. I don't. I don't know. And, it, you know, just like with Prometheus, I walked in with very high expectations. I'm going in with pretty high expectations for Alien Covenant. But something like this shows me I think I'm going to be I'm not going to be disappointed. I think I'm going to be happy. Right. So I hope you're right. <laughs> Here, Here's my overall overriding. Concern. Have you seen the Last Supper thing no, that I'm talking about? I'm not. Okay. I will watch it this weekend. OK, here's my only concern. So Ridley Scott went out and did Prometheus. Yes. Which. I feel like had some flaws, but I definitely admire what he was trying to do. Okay. Add a greater sense of mythology to this whole, the alien race, the planets. The, the I mean, it got pretty deep. It takes, is a very deep movie. Takes in part to probably Damon Lindelof and the whole lost yeah. mythology guy. Coming so I in. liked what they were trying to do. I just sure. felt like the film was flawed in, in some of its execution of it. Here's my concern. So the, the, the response of Prometheus was fairly lukewarm, you know, overall in general, you know, a lot of people just either didn't feel like it was really on the right path and felt like it was not what they were wanting from an alien prequel and so on. I hope that what I'm seeing so far with Alien Covenant is not just a Ridley Scott saying, well, I need to give them, I need to give them an alien movie. I, I'm hopeful of that because my first concern was, well, the fact that they put alien back in the title. 
So I don't know what this film was going to be called originally, but the fact that they're now saying it's Alien colon Covenant Covenant. makes me a little worried. The fact that, you know, it's, I I hope it's just not a matter of, well, I'm going to kind of like push off some of that mythology I was building in Prometheus and just go back to what the crowd wants, which is aliens creeping into a spaceship and killing off people. Well, you know, I hope I hope he doesn't feel the pressure to go that route. I hope he kind of sticks to some of the things he was building in Prometheus. I, I yeah, I, I I agree. I hear what you're saying, and mm-hmm. I understand what you're saying because when I saw the when I saw the title, and when I saw the first trailer, not this thing yeah. that, but the the trailer, I was worried about it as well because it looked like it was going back to just aliens jumping out of stuff, blood spattering everywhere, people screaming, and that looked like. He, there may have been a cave in to give people more of what they want and didn't get from Prometheus. But after seeing this prologue is what makes me think, no, it's, it's going to have some of that, but it's still trying to do some of the mythology. I definitely need to see the the prologue. What I'm really curious about is the roles that Michael Fassbender, obviously playing David, the the Android, we think Um, maybe he, Oh, all I know from Prometheus is that he is listed as two different characters. I see David and Walter. Okay. So I don't know. Last Supper, I think you see Walter. Okay. So maybe, oh, got it. So. Um, but Numi Rapace is listed in the cast list. Right. Which she was in Prometheus. She was. Um, Guy Pierce also played Peter Whalen in Prometheus. He's in the cast list. So. Interesting. I'm, I'm hopeful that this is a true natural continuation of the story that 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 really scott wanted to do Hmm. um and not a well let's abandon a lot of the elements from prometheus that didn't work for people right and just kind of get them what they want i hope that's the i hope he's going in the right direction and grant i know he didn't write the screenplay but obviously he's he's got some input as to where the story's going i'm sure so sure I, I'm i'm interested and i'm (laughs) looking forward to it because i love ridley scott okay i think as a filmmaker he's great and I love alien movies. I mean, I, Aliens, the second one, is one of my favorites from the 80s. Which he didn't um, direct. No, he didn't. But, I mean, he kind of set the tone for sure, it with the first one. And, right. you know, I love the franchise. I mean, I even thought Alien 3 and 4 were okay. I liked them in general. Um, only ones I didn't see was I never saw any of the Aliens versus Predators. I just don't feel like that's <laughs> – I don't even consider that part of the true franchise. Sure. Yeah, um, neither do I. So. Yeah. I'm, I'm anxious, and I do think he's got a great cast together, absolutely, on this. Um, so we'll see what happens. All right, let's talk Oscars for a little while. Okay. Um, the Oscar Academy Awards ceremony was held just this past Sunday. We don't really need to talk about the whole mishap at the end of the show. It was we'll go interesting. We'll touch on that one yeah. right off the bat. Yeah, obviously, I mean. Since we teased it, I guess. In case anybody didn't hear. No, I mean, yes, it, it was a... Uh, it was announced that La La Land had won, but it turned out they read from the wrong envelope. They were given the best actress envelope, which there's a second copy of the envelopes. They were given the wrong envelope and they read the wrong uh, winner. La La Land came out and gave all their speeches. And then all of a sudden they realized that amid confusion that the wrong one was read out. So Moonlight actually won. I'm just going to go ahead and say, just to go ahead and cap off this whole best picture discussion. Sure. Uh, I would have been happy with either of the two. Okay, I was totally mentally prepared it was going to be La La Land, and I was going to be fine with that because I do think it's a really good movie. I would have been also very happy if it had been Moonlight because I think Moonlight's very deserving. Moonlight may have crept up to be my favorite film of last year. Really? The more I've thought about it more lately. Okay. So, absolutely happy with that as well. 
So I'm, overall, that was a win-win for me. I got to see the whole La La Land cast get up there and <laughs> accept the award and give some great speeches. And then I got to see Moonlight win the same award. So right. I was happy. It was right. okay by me. I, I do feel bad for the guys, though, from La La Land. That did suck. I do, know. too. And I'd go there again. I didn't. I, I did watch the aftermath. The next morning, I woke up and saw Twitter blown up. I'm like, whoa, yeah. what happened? So I, I did learn about it. I have to say, um, La La Land's fine. You know, as I said in the review, oh, it's fine. I did like Moonlight better. And I have to admit, this is one. We'll get to another one. that I, or There are a couple that I was really surprised that actually were big surprises for me. Even though Moonlight was a good film and people were talking about it, I didn't think it stood a chance just because it's such a small film mm-hmm. from a first-time director. Um, wasn't about Hollywood. Like, like La La Land just had so much going oh, for it absolutely. as far as what type of movie usually wins that it never dawned on me that Moonlight had a snowball's chance in hell. I agree. Um, so kind of shocking that it won and, I, yeah. and i'm glad it was um, a great surprise so, yeah. uh, it, it, granted if, if i if i discount the people the the crew from la la land and what they had to deal with and go through that night it was an awesome situation for moonlight because it was almost like the true david versus goliath thing i mean it's yeah. like yeah la la land was the big juggernaut and here's little moonlight and not only did they win but they won in a surprise weird ironic weird way, way. <laughs> yeah so anyway yeah. moonlight won I'm happy. I think that was a good, good, worthy winner, but I would have been very happy with La La Land as well. Um, let me just kind of hit some highlights for you, and you kind of give me some thoughts on this. Okay. We already talked about Manchester by the Sea, one original screenplay. Yeah, I would have liked to have really seen The Lobster win that. I think The um, Lobster I would have liked won. to see anything else win <laughs> other than... Now, Grant, haven't seen 20th Century Women. Yeah. Um, so maybe it's just as, like numbing out as Manchester by the Sea. But yeah, lob- I would have loved The Lobster, but... Yeah, there's no or hell or high water. Hell or high water, and actually, you know, La La Land, I felt like had more of a story that I could something to keep me interested better than uh, Manchester did. So anything else, but whatever. But now the adapted screenplay for writing was Moonlight, and I do think that was actually my pick. I actually thought they were going to win because they took a combination of a play and a story, blended together in this movie, and I thought it just worked really well. So agreed. Yeah. Yeah. So I was really happy with the adapted screenplay writing. Um, visual, I'm just kind of working my way up visual sure. effects, the jungle book one, that was the one I also picked to win because I do feel like even though yes, rogue one has outstanding visual effects. Every star Wars movie does. And Academy hates star Wars. So, well, yeah, there's that <laughs> Dr. Strange. I mean, yeah, it was cool visual effects, but the jungle book, man, animating animals. I'm sorry, but that is freaking hard <laughs> to do. Right. And I still, I saw that movie not too long ago and was really impressed with how visually stunning that film was so i'm happy to see that one win sound mixing was hacksaw ridge i guess that's fine i'm i have a bad ear for sound so i can never really tell what's good sound editing or mixing so sure um arrival actually did get an oscar for sound editing Uh, (laughs) sure (laughs) it got something got something i you know i'm on record as really liking arrival so i was happy i got something yeah so Short film, I did not see any of the short film live action, so Sing was the winner. I, I could not tell you if that was warranted or not. Short film animated was Piper, which was the Pixar film. It's a Pixar right. short film. And I, I had seen that one and one other one on that list, Borrowed Time. Yeah. And because I'd seen both of them, I actually picked Borrowed Time, but I was wrong. Ah, <laughs> so. yeah. uh, production design was La La Land, which I thought was, was the right winner for that. Uh, I it was, it was I mean, I think actually... 
La La Land, Hail Caesar, and Fantastic Beasts all are really strong contenders in that category. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I knew it probably wasn't going to win anything, <laughs> you can do Hail Caesar. I hoped that Hail Caesar, but yeah, yeah it but didn't. Realistically so. speaking, uh, no, La La, La, La Land, no, yeah, it got it. deserves it, it yeah. Music, original song, we've all kind of predicted that it was going to be City of Stars from La La Land. Uh, you know, I was fine with any of them. And actually, you know what? The thing is, we, we kind of joked, I think, the last time when we talked about the nominees that we didn't know anything about the empty chair yeah. for the James Foley story. Actually, funny story. So Sting, who I like. Who always, doesn't know anything about the movie either. Yeah, he really. wrote the song yeah. that night. I, um, I, I like Sting. I have listened to his latest album. It's not that good, but it has one song on it that I really liked, which was called The Empty Chair. So I've been playing this song uh, off his album, and I didn't even make the connection that this was the same song that was nominated for Best Original Song. So when I saw him play it on the Oscars, I'm like, wait a minute. I know this song, and it's a good song. It didn't deserve to win Best Original Song, but it was a pretty good song. So City of Stars, I think that was kind of the ones everybody expected to win. It's a fine song. I, I, I don't think it's a great song. I actually thought it would have been really funny if uh, Justin Timberlake had won because that's a fun song from Trolls, but um, right. so be it. Music, original score was La La Land. I felt like that was pretty no pretty, uh, pretty uh, expected as well. Would have been cool if Moonlight or Jackie had snuck in, but yeah, didn't would have. Jackie would have been really a great win to see, but I didn't expect that to happen. Makeup and hairstyling with Suicide Squad. Yeah, you know, sure. I, I mean, you and I both were not big on that movie. Nope. I think we both were equally down on it. But, I mean, the makeup, makeup was okay. and hairstyle. Yeah, that's yeah, fine. Something you kind of expect. I mean, really, I didn't think the choices were really that inspired. I mean, it's either that or Star Trek Beyond or A Man Called Ove, which I, you know, I like A Man Called Ove. Subtle, yeah. well done. It was good makeup, but it's not going to win an award. I don't right. think over a big special effects yeah. blockbuster. Agreed. Foreign language film was The Salesman. Um, I kind of expected that. You know, I I didn't. I you was really thought really, it was going to be Tony Erdman. I right? really thought it was going to be Tony Erdman just yeah. because they already talked about doing a remake, and there was. I just think Tony so Erdman press from Cannes, and like it was really. I think Tony Erdman's got more comedy in it, and so where the salesman not, is a very serious subject. True. So I think that's probably going to cause it to eke out a little bit. The winner I, there, I think. Yeah, had I my wiser self prevailed, yeah, seeing you know Oscar worthy versus comedy, yeah, probably would have. Yeah. Thought better and gone salesman. But. Film editing was Hexall Ridge, which that's fine. I mean, it was a it was a technically well made film, like I said in the sure. reviews. So sure, that works. Uh, the White Helmets won for documentary short subject, which is a Netflix uh, distributed short film, so you can watch it on Netflix. Now. Okay, so let let's. This mm-hmm. is one of the things that kind of a big surprise to me, and we'll <laughs> we'll have some more that come up, but. Yeah, White Helmets is on Netflix, as is Extremists. So both are extremists. Both of those are on Netflix streaming. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, interesting that they won. And also what that says about distribution mm-hmm. and Netflix. Sure. Like, they have had nominated shorts on there before. They had a nominated feature, or not nominated feature, but they were trying to do an Oscar feature before. But, yeah, this this is kind of a, you mentioned Amazon with Manchester in our view of it. Okay, now Netflix has an Oscar winning for best documentary short in White Helmet. So it's like, okay, you know, they've had stuff nominated before, but now they have oh, yeah. winners. Absolutely. Kind no, of, I'm, I, I think it's great. I was amazed by I'm that. All for it. Yeah. All for it. Uh, documentary feature. This one surprised me. It was OJ Made in America. 
And the reason it surprised me is not because of the quality of the documentary, because I know it's a good documentary. It was the format. It's the fact that it's a six or seven hour film that was distributed as episodes right. of a series. That's where I think I mentioned this in a previous episode. I think this is where things get really interesting because now you're defining, redefining what is a movie. Yeah. What is a film that could be one in this kind of environment? Because I could argue, does that mean I can take the Luke Cage Netflix series in 13 hours and it does tell one continuous story through 13 hours. If I stitch it together into one movie, is that now a movie that can be submitted for award consideration? I mean, I guess, you know, I don't know. It's just, to me, that's where I'm glad it won. I think it's a, it's a great win. It's just, it really makes me question what are we looking at with this renaissance of TV these last, this last decade and really good TV shows out there pioneered a lot by Netflix and Amazon and these places. Right. It just makes you wonder kind of where, where things are going with this. So, yeah, on the same page, I, because of when I was trying to pick who I thought was going to win, I ruled out 13th because I was like, well, that's Netflix. Ruled out OJ Made in America because of the format being on mm -hmm. ESPN and released in seven episodes. So I went up with I Am Not Your Negro because I'd heard really good things about it. Sure. And I was like, okay, that's clearly going to win. And when they said OJ Made in America, I was like, wow, that is really surprising that that's what the Academy voters went for. But good. And, the mm -hmm. you know, the director, when he got up there, he acknowledged it. He said, you know, this is, you know, this format of releasing it the way it was the only way this story could have really truly been told mm -hmm. in this kind mm -hmm. of depth. Yeah. And thank you for allowing me the chance to do it. And, yeah, I'm just pleasantly surprised mm -hmm. and shocked. That, yeah. Because, that you know, a lot of times it seems like when people talk about the Oscars afterwards, they're always like, oh, it was just a gross, gross injustice that so-and-so didn't win. It was clearly the better thing. And in a way, like, you know, Best Picture Moonlight, they kind of get things right so people can't complain in many senses. So O.J. Made in America, like, I would challenge anyone to debate that that wasn't, you know, the best doc of the year. So. Yeah, I'm just, I'm, I, it's great. I just, again, I think it adds, it adds a big question. Oh, yeah. To me, the two biggest questions when it comes to awards for films in the future is, one, the uh, motion capture of performances because I think we're going to see more and more of those and how are you really going to handle those? We didn't have any big no, blow no, up this year. There weren't nah. any this year. But, you know, motion capture performances, do you recognize the technical team? Do you recognize the actor that was being motion captured? Do you do both? How do you recognize that? Because we're going to have to tackle that at some point. And then number two is this format of film. Sure. What constitutes a film nowadays with this digital distribution available like it is? Interesting stuff. Really interesting. It definitely made for me this. Yeah, I agree with you. This year's Oscars was interesting. Yeah, in the the award selections for sure. Um, so then directing uh, was La La Land. So uh, uh, Damon uh, Damien um, Chazelle, Chazelle, uh, youngest person to ever win the directing award at thirty two. Okay, uh, which I thought was interesting. And you know, I'm at least thankful that La La Land got directing because if they had not got directing. And it got messed up over Best Picture. <laughs> I really think they would probably walk away saying they really came away empty-handed. Sure. Emma Stone won Best Actress, but from a the crew making the film, I think they would have felt completely robbed if he hadn't won director as well. Sure. How did you feel? You were okay with uh, Damien or Damon uh, winning award? Uh, yeah, for I was. Um, you know, did I think it was Best Picture? No, and apparently <laughs> other people didn't either. But 
pulling that together and yeah. pulling a musical together. Yeah. I can say that. Yeah. I've, Here's the way I look sure. at it is with the directing award. It's all, where is there a more of a singular focus on a complete picture and driving it forward? And I think he did do that in La La Land. Sure. Moonlight, you know, you could argue that Barry Jenkins deserved to get best director in Moonlight. I mean, he obviously was a very good director for that film. But for me, that film was a combination of the parts. It was the acting. It was the story. It was the screenplay. Yeah. Everything worked together. Sure. And, you know, that's where I'm glad it won Best Picture because it does recognize the entire production. Um, directing, I mean, I do think La La Land was pretty much Chazelle's, that was his focus. Like, I know what I want to make out of this film. Right. And I pull all the pieces together and make it happen. But it's going to be my vision of this film. Um, costume design was Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Sure. I mean, <laughs> sure. okay. You know, I against all the others, I really, I, I'm not a good judge of that. So, yeah, I mean, I think in that category, you've got period pieces such as Florence Foster Jenkins allied. And I guess fantastic beasts is technically kind of a period piece too, because it's not supposed to be it's modern true. day. Yep. So, and Jackie, you know, you've got a lot of period pieces. Anytime you've got period pieces, you're, they're all, obviously they've got huge budgets. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard to La judge. La Land is not a period piece, but, but because it it's almost a has musical that, yeah, it has that of, feel that it could be a period, sure. even though it's modern day. So, right. Yeah. Cinematography was La La Land. Um, I agree with that. Do you? Yeah. The only one that I would maybe, um, yeah, I mean, no, I'm Moonlight's, I'm Moonlight's a beautiful film to look at, but, yeah, I kind of give that I, more to the director than I do the cinematographer. Director and lighting as opposed yeah. to maybe cinematography. Yeah. La La Land, um, obviously, the way they had to put these shots together and get the shots they did and, and the dancing sequences and all that. Yeah. It takes a good cinematographer, so I'm okay with that. I agree. Animated feature film was Zootopia. My mind with this one was blown. I'm really surprised about that um, because I figured if there was a spoiler, it was Kubo and the Two Strings. Yeah. Um, not Zootopia. I thought Moana. You thought Moana. I thought Moana yeah, was. I win. thought Moana was going to win. Um, but it, but it didn't. Um, the other two, my life is a zucchini, which is fun to say, and the red turtle. Yeah, didn't think they had a chance, but Zootopia sneaking out a win because going up against a Disney musical with Moana and another Disney film that's Zootopia, I, I never in a million years would have guessed that that would have won, but it did. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. shows you what I know. Hmm. Yeah, I am. I'm, I mean, I think I think what it was is I think all the social commentary that went along with Zootopia kind of elevated it in people's minds. Where Moana is a really good Disney film and a classic Disney film and great music to it. Zootopia, I think just I think people are just ready to elevate something a little higher because of what something it's trying with to the say. Little message, yeah. yeah. yeah I think that's, See, that's what the thing went. is. Moana actually elevated the Polynesian culture because and the Maori, however you say, it, like. Because a film, a Disney film, there'd never been a Disney princess from mm -hmm. from there. You know, it's always mm -hmm. kind of been ignored. So, but you're right, as opposed to the social commentary that was going on in Zootopia yeah. about different races and stuff. Yeah, the animal. Yeah, it's good you're, messages you're too. You're right. So I guess shouldn't have been a surprise, but. Um, all right, so let's get to the acting and best picture. Well, best picture we've already talked about. But sure. um, actress in a supporting role was Viola Davis for Fences. Um, I did catch up with Fences. And I will say that, yeah, um, I agree. I think that was good. She was in a performance that the first half of the film, I was really questioning, like, what, what is the deal? I don't even know why she's being nominated because she's just a side character, background character. 
it wasn't until halfway through the film she had some really great scenes of like okay I get it now I know why she's nominated this makes sense right. so um, Fences was a film I, I appreciated I mean I know you you talked about it in the in the review your side review last episode and commenting about how it really was just putting a play on screen and for the first half of the film that's really what I thought it all it all it was I was actually pretty frustrated with the first half sure because it just seemed like okay we're outside in the backyard having a conversation now we're going to go walk inside oh but we need to have another conversation so let's come back outside again to our main stage to do it and it was just so it just seemed very 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 uh rigid and yeah. i didn't like that by the second half of the film i think it opened up more i think the performances opened up more and i did enjoy it and respect it a little bit more by the end so um I, i'm i'm glad it didn't win best picture because i didn't think it deserved best picture but I'm I'm okay with it being in the running for best picture after seeing it, and Viola Davis I thought was really good. Yeah, so, I, I agree. I was very happy to see uh, Mahershala Ali win for Moonlight. That was the one I wanted. I think he was. I mean, granted, I didn't see one or two of the other performances, but Jeff Bridges is great. I thought Lucas Hedges was fine in Manchester by the Sea, but man, Mahershala it was just that whole first third of the film. Oh, yeah. It was so great. Yeah, so good. He, so. he walked away with it and he should have. Absolutely. That was great. That was a nice nice way to start off the ceremony. And then actress in a leading role, Emma Stone. Uh, <laughs> after seeing Jackie, I really wanted Natalie Portman to win it because I really thought Natalie Portman was great in that film. Emma Stone does make La La Land work. I will give her that. Um, I don't think it was um, Ryan Gosling, Gosling that made it work. I think Emma Stone carried the film. I think she, her voice, her, her, her personality, everything she gave on the film made it work. So I'm okay with her winning, but I really thought Natalie Portman would put in a better performance though. Yeah. I, I, I kind of agree. I do agree. Absolutely. Um, I had picked Natalie Portman to win and she didn't, um, not that Emma Stone didn't do a good job, but I guess the, the difficulty of Natalie Portman's role, I thought would, pull her through i thought it would be the only thing that jackie would walk away with because he was ignored every other but i thought it would i thought it would walk away with that but it didn't i just i felt like i felt like natalie portman transformed herself into the role sure emma stone was playing emma stone for the (laughs) film it's just that she is a very talented woman so she had the singing and the dancing and the acting all along so I, i know that's what kind of made her the complete package for winning this but um yeah, I was a little disappointed to see that they went the predictable route with that one. Right. Actor in a leading role. Uh, I know Chris is already shaking his head. But Casey am. Affleck from Manchester by the Sea. Um, I will tell you, though, Chris, I felt like it was a really weak field for actor in a leading role. I don't see where that's coming from, really. Considering your man, Ryan, but you don't like Ryan Gosling. Uh, well, it's not that I don't like Ryan Gosling. I just don't think he put in a great performance in La La Land. I don't think La La Land... It was not the performances that made that film good. Uh, I felt like it was the production, the style, the production design, the music. Emma Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling were serviceable. They did fine in the (laughs) film for me. So I did not think Ryan Gosling deserved to win. Uh, Andrew Garfield, we already talked about, I did not think deserved to win Best best Actor. Denzel Washington, I would have been fine if he won it. That's okay. I would have been fine if he won that. Because I do think he put in a good performance. It was still Denzel, though. I mean, let's be honest. Fences would have worked so much better if it had been a relatively more unknown actor in the Denzel Washington role. If it had been somebody that we didn't already have a persona attached to, Fences would have been a great film. 
But as it was, Denzel Washington, even when Denzel's character is being an a-hole in the film. Which he is for the majority of it. It's really hard for me to buy him as an a-hole because it's Denzel Washington. You know, it's like, it's just, it's hard to separate the persona from the acting in in a a role like that. Hmm. I I did not have a problem with him playing a bad guy in Training Day. Because I actually thought he was really good in Training Day. He played a bad character in that movie. Here in Fences, though, I just... I always felt the whole time it's like, well, we're supposed to hate this guy, but we still kind of love him because he's Denzel Washington. And that was kind of the, 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 the presence he had in the film. Well, yeah, and I could say that maybe, you know, that is kind of intentional too because he's he do, he is kind of a jerk to his kids and he does have a lot of faults, but it's you can tell he's a human character. And I think instead of being a complete monster, you can tell he's human. And that's why, you know, but so much more of an interesting performance. When I think of a lead performance that I want to give an Oscar to, it's like, which one would I want to watch again? Which one mm-hmm. is going to be held up in acting class and say, take a look at this. Um, and Affleck from Manchester by the Sea. No, I feel like there was nothing special there. Right, so, I'm with you. Of the five that we had, I, I would have asked, I would have wanted Denzel Washington to win. That, that's where I would have gone. Right. Um, mainly because I just don't, I didn't like Andrew Garfield's. I didn't think Ryan Gosling was deserving of it. Have not seen Viggo Mortensen, so that's the one holdout that I can't speak to. It's a it's an inter- interesting performance. Yeah. Um, I've seen it, so you. Should I just thought it. overall the male acting was weak. Was weak, slight in general for the nominations. Okay, and then you know we already talked about Best Picture, and we're both perfectly happy with Moonlight winning yeah. that. Um, so overall, you know, the Oscars, I felt like. Like you said, it was some good surprises. It was some good acknowledgement of good quality work. I felt the fact that the films were kind of all over the place as far as winners go. I mean, we didn't have any one film that just ran away with it. Right. La La Land nominated for tons of stuff, and it did win several awards, but it was Best Actress, Best Director, Production Design, and then the two song Song or music. And I think that was it. Um, And... No, it won cinematography, too. So six. It won six awards. It didn't win the most of anybody else, but it didn't win the big award. Moonlight got Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor, and Original Screenplay, or Adapted Screenplay. Sorry. So it carried away three, and one of those three was Best Picture. So that's great. Right. Hacksaw Ridge won a couple of awards. Manchester by the Sea won a couple of awards. Um, Fences won one award. Um, You know, it seemed like it was a... It was a better mix than I expected it to be of winners than I think we were led to believe going into this. Yeah, agreed. The uh, OJ was a nice surprise on the documentary. Uh, Zootopia was a surprise on the on the on the animated film. Yeah, Chris, let me just ask you something. I don't mean to be controversial at all with this, but you know, last year the Oscars got a lot of heat for lack of diversity. Sure. Do you feel like I'm not at all insinuating that any of these uh, did not deserve to win, but do you feel like there was a concerted effort to try to balance it out more this year, which is why maybe we had some more interesting choices this year? I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, maybe, um, but it'll be interesting to see what happens in the long term. Yeah. You know, is this just a, a drop in the bucket and yeah. it'll go back to being, you know, kind of a whitewashed Oscars next year? Who knows? I, mean, I was glad I to see. Not. I was glad to see the diversity there. I hope it continues. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah, I, I hope so too. Uh, I hope that was not just knee jerk reactions to the last year or two. I hope this is authentic recognition for some really good films and performances. So that's the Oscars. Uh, I will say, you and I 
didn't do so hot on our Oscar no. picks. There were yeah. too many surprises for me. Out of 24, I think we got 10, right? Yeah, I think that may be my worst predicting ever. Yeah. So. Um, just so you know, the winner of our pool, we do a, a, an annual Oscar pool with all of our Foot Candle Film Society members. And I think the winner was 17 out of 24. That's pretty good. For a, for a year with a lot of surprises, 17 out of 24 is pretty good. Yeah. So um, anyway, that's, uh, that's the Oscars. Are we officially done with 2016 now? Yes. Every yeah. film we're talking about going forward is going to be a 2017 film, right? <laughs> Correct. Okay, good. Good, good, good. We can button it up. We're done. Thank you, 2016. It was a interesting year, and we're ready to move on. So <laughs> that's our, also our end of our news section. We're going to move on into our final section of the show where we give our recommendations. This is where we talk about a film that we think you ought to check out, either one that maybe you've forgotten about, one that maybe slipped under the radar, or just one we stumbled across and we think is an interesting discovery to, to share. And the idea is to try to share films with you that you can hopefully find online fairly easily without a whole lot of hassle or a whole lot of cost. So, Chris, do you want to go first and talk through your recommendation here? Sure. So, in the tradition of Alan mentioned that we are going forward into 2017, I am going to recommend the winner the grand of the grand jury prize at Sundance in 2017 back in January it has already been picked up it is out it's on Netflix so if you have Netflix streaming it is free but it is I don't feel at home in this world anymore um and I just actually watched this movie last night and so it's came out turnaround was you know mm-hmm. most time you hear about things on Sundance yeah you got to wait a Sundance, while and then yeah it's like you know spring or late fall a lot of times if they're oscar worthy you know this like was released like within a month. Mm-hmm. So really crazy kind of feeds into that whole distribution thing you and I were talking about. But the film itself is the first film that's directed by Macon Blair. And Macon Blair was the guy who was the lead actor in Blue Ruin, mm-hmm. which we talked about on the show. And then he had a small part in Green Room. What part did he play in Green Room? Do you remember? He was, yeah, he was kind of a uh, Patrick Stewart who plays the, Mm-hmm. main skinhead mean dude he was kind of like a lackey oh, okay so he was one he, of the the guys at the club there right so, yeah. yeah kind okay. of a soft-spoken you know one mm-hmm. of the lackeys at the club so that's jeremy saulnier who did those two films so this is Macon blair's first film and it follows very much in kind of the vein of jeremy saulnier's uh blue ruin and green room yeah. with the exception of this film is a lot funnier hmm. <laughs> it has a lot okay. of funny things in it but it does. Well, I mean, Green Room was a riot. Come on. <laughs> well, Blue, Blue Ruin. I know, I'm joking. You know, has some humor in it. Yeah. But it's kind of dark humor. The humor in this movie, a lot of it is very dark as well. Yeah. And there is some pretty brutal graphic violence. Not as bad as Green Room. Okay. But, mm. but you can tell Macon Blair, obviously, you know, some of that Jeremy Solomier stuff probably rubbed off on him a little yeah. as far as interest wise and what he decided to. Uh, he wrote this as well. So what the kind of film he decided to do, but it is a crime thriller drama mm. does have, like I mentioned some elements of humor in it, but what, it, what it's about is uh, this depressed woman comes home and finds her house burglarized and then decides that she's going to track the thieves down and like get compensation or get vengeance. But she, Melanie Linsky, which if you know who mm-hmm. that actress is, not what you picture is like, action hero a woman who takes right. things into her own hands and uh she finds one of her loser neighbors to help her do this 
and it's Elijah Wood. <laughs> yeah, I saw he was <laughs> with in an this amazing film, yeah. haircut. Um, so wow. it's just it's really fun to see a movie like that find a home on Netflix. It is kind of odd too because it has some almost David Lynch touches to it, which oh, is wow. something I don't associate. You know, the whole Jeremy Saulnier thing was like, oh, it's kind of like Coen Brothers type mm-hmm. thing. He has more of maybe a David Lynch sensibility maybe in some mm-hmm. aspects, but I'm excited. Just like I like Jeremy Saulnier. Can't wait to see what he does next. Can't wait to see what Macon Blair does next. Interesting. And he could teach something to Mr. M. Night Shyamalan about having a cameo in his films mm-hmm. because Macon Blair does have a cameo in this film in the opening minutes. I'm not going to spoil anything, but it's amazing. Hmm. It is so, and at first I was like, wait, is that him? And I was like, yeah, that's him. Amazing, really good, kind of sets the tone for the film. I I really like this film. So if you have right. a Netflix streaming, you're in luck. It's on there. I didn't feel, I don't feel at home in this world anymore. I don't feel at home in this world anymore. It's a really, if you have Netflix and you go on, they're pushing it like crazy because yeah, sure. they're really proud of the fact. Well, you're right. It was really quick to have a Sundance shown film, you know, kind of pushed to Netflix that quickly. Again, yeah. speaking to our bigger conversation earlier about distribution and how that's changing things really makes it interesting. That's, yeah. that's great. I definitely have to check that out. Um, so my recommendation is a 2015 film that I caught up with a couple a few months ago. It's on Netflix, so it's one you can check out there. And it's called The Invitation. And Chris, I believe you've seen this one as well. Yeah. It's uh, You have a guy and his girlfriend show up. At a, they're invited to a dinner with some old friends. Turns out that it's the guy's ex-wife and her, her new husband um, are hosting this dinner party. You learn over time that there's some backstory between the characters that is uh, possibly causing some paranoia on the sense of the main character, Will. Um, and there's a lot of question marks about what the intention of the dinner is and um, whether or not Will is being just wrapped up in paranoia and grief from some things that happened in the past between he and his wife. It ultimately turns in it's a mystery with some some slight thriller elements to it that does end in a... Uh, I will say the end is probably the weakest part of the film as far as it does end in a more traditional thriller mode, which... I wasn't as excited about it as I was the first two thirds of the film, which I thought were really good. Okay. Um, I will say that I personally, and I don't know how you feel about it, Chris, but I personally thought the ending shot, which is, if you don't recall, it's looking out into a landscape and yes. seeing lights. I thought was really good and okay. I liked it a lot. Um, okay. So I will say it's interesting to watch just because if you like films where you don't always know where it's going and you're trying to figure out people's uh, motivations and uh, Somebody in the the main character you're following may not be the most reliable character to follow because he may be dealing with his own sense of paranoia and you're left wondering, is he off his rocker or is he <laughs> is he right in his suspicions? Sure. All that. And then it does build to a lot more like a, a thriller type conclusion. But if you like that kind of ending to a film, it, it, it definitely goes in that direction. So overall, I thought it was good. What I thought was interesting, though. I watch a film like this and I immediately am thinking the whole way I'm watching it. This must be some first time director or somebody who's, this is like their first big project. There's no known stars other than we do have, um, John Carroll Lynch who he was in Zodiac. Um, he's in the founder, which I reviewed a couple episodes ago as one of the, the, uh, the original McDonald's brothers. Right. He used to be in the Drew Carey show sitcom. Uh, he's a recognizable face, but he always plays kind of a bigger, 
presence in a, in a film. He's in this film. He's the only star question, you know, quotation marks around that right. in the film. But it made me think that obviously this must be a first-time director or up-and-coming director. Actually, Karen Kusama is the director, and she directed Jennifer's Body. Do you remember that film with... Um, heard of it, but didn't written, it. The screenplay was by... Uh, um, uh, who, who was the... Uh, did Juno? Diablo, oh. Diablo Cody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did the screenplay, I think, for Jennifer's Body. And uh, Aeon Flux... Wow. The actual uh, with Charlize Theron back in uh, 2005. Yeah. So she's, and then she did Girl Fight. That was actually her first film, which was kind of an independent film. So to come back around after doing kind of two big, bigger budget movies with big stars. Right. And now to make a very small, small film. That was kind of interesting to see that it wasn't like a first time director or, or brand new director on the, on the scene. Anyway, it's not perfect. It definitely has some issues with it. But I think it's worth a watch if you're looking for something and you don't mind something with a lot of question marks and thriller elements around it. So so the invitation for me and then Chris. (laughs) I don't feel at home in this world anymore. Okay, good. Well, make sure I didn't mess that up. It's kind of a crazy title. Yeah. So that's two films we could recommend. Both of them on Netflix. So if you have a Netflix account, you can see them tonight, like right now. (laughs) Turn off the uh, podcast and you can go watch one of those two films immediately. (laughs) All right, Chris, I think that is our show for today. So, in summary, we're both saying Manchester by the Sea was disappointing. We both said that Hacksaw Ridge was disappointing. Less so for me than Manchester. I'm about on the same page with both of them as far as disappointment level and concern level with the films. So, I think we're both equally saying that not Best Picture nominee material. No. Um and we're a little surprised at some of the awards that they were nominated for. Agreed. But then we got into our news, and Chris told us all about a news item regarding Alien Covenant. And you can see the short film, uh, The Last Supper. Yeah, prologue, Last Supper. Yeah, five minutes. You know, it takes place before the, the movie. It's something you can see now. And it does not count as a trailer. No. Because if the footage from that is not in the full movie, That's then you are not disrupting your experience in any way. <laughs> You're just wetting your appetite with a prologue story. That's perfectly fine. You can you can stand by your whole no trailer motif and still do the, watch that short film. Uh, and then we talked about the Oscars and the winners there, and then our recommendations here. So, Chris, if someone is uh, listened to the last hour of this and just really has something important to say to us, <laughs> how should they go about doing so? Well, uh, we record this show in Hickory, North Carolina, so buy a plane ticket. No. Um, much easier <laughs> no, no, way to You totally it. can. You totally I mean, can. Totally let us know if you're going to fly Come and be a guest on the us. show. Yeah, That'd absolutely. be fine. Uh, probably an easier way to go about doing it is send us an email at info at themesh.tv. And just in the subject line, you know, say for Candle Films, tell us what you like, didn't like about the show, something you want us to review, or a recommendation for us of a film we might want to check out. Uh, that's the easiest way to get in contact with us. Alan did give a shout out to our film festival that we will be putting on in September of uh, this year. So the website for that, if you want more information, is footcandlefilmfestival, all crammed together, dot com. We've also referenced the film society that got this whole thing started in the first place. The uh, got us talking about films, which is footcandle.org. And that's just where we put up what films we'll be screening for our film society. Yeah. Uh, we're, of course, the 2017 Foot Candle Film Festival, as Chris mentioned, we're very excited about September 22nd through the 24th. And uh, 
we are still in submission process for films. That's if right. you are a filmmaker or know a filmmaker or involved in any way with a filmmaker, we do recommend you go to candlefilmfestival.com. We're using Film Freeway as our submission engine, so people should be pretty familiar with that if you do this on a regular basis. And we'd love to have your film considered for screening at our festival in September. Um, and, of course, more information will go out later on in the year. Uh, I think we're expecting to have tickets go on sale probably in early August for the general public. I think that's uh, right. Somewhere in there. So we'll, we'll keep you posted as we get closer to the date. But we had two great years with our festival, and we're really excited about starting up and, and getting this third one ready for you as well. All right. Well, again, you've been listening to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. Go to TheMesh.TV for any back episodes or to check out other podcasts on the network. Again, they're all free, able to download or stream from any device you have. And I'll say to you, on the Mesh.TV website, we do have some of our catalog of podcasts, but we've been doing this for a while now. Mm-hmm. Um, on We have a YouTube channel, the Mesh YouTube channel, and that has an even greater number of oh, our good. back episodes. I awesome. think it actually has the very first episode we did, which was on a film Ugh. called Win Win. Yeah. Um, I wonder how it holds up. I don't know. Probably a little rough. I don't think we've gotten any better. <laughs> so we're probably about the same, don't I you hope think? we haven't gotten worse. <laughs> no, no. I don't think we've gotten worse either. But, yeah. I think we've been pretty consistent in our quality. <laughs> anyway, we were good from episode one. I think we've stayed about the same We've level. just stayed good. Yeah. <laughs> now, of course, everybody's listening to this being like, uh, no, I don't think so. so. And that's fine. Uh, we still enjoy doing it. That's the main oh, yeah. thing. Chris and I are happy talking films with everybody. So hope you enjoy it as well. So with that, we'll sign off. Until next time, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.